0: I don't know how many of you know or don't know, so I'm just going to just tell you. When I was 16 years old, actually I was 17 years old, and it was Christmas time, uh, I was sitting in class one day, and it was actually the lunch break, but we were sitting in the classroom because it was raining, and um, this girl asked me, what are you going to do next year when you graduate from high school? And I was like, I don't know. And she said, well, are you going to go to college? Nah, I'm not ready for college. Are you going to go to junior college? No, that'd be too much like going to high school again. Well, what are you going to do with your life? Are you just going to sit on the beach and do nothing? And I was like, well, what's wrong with that? And she's like, oh, come on. You can't just waste your life. You've got too much to do. You've got to get started with your life. What about joining the military? And I went, <laughs> right, sure, that's stupid. And that afternoon, I went to the Air Force recruiter, and I signed up. And what's crazy is, I had to call my dad from the recruiting office to ask a question about some date or something that I couldn't remember. And my dad was like, where are you? And I said, I'm at the Air Force recruiting office, Dad. And dead silence on the other side of the phone. Dad? Dad? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, it was hurry home when you get home. Well, after I left the recruiting office and had signed all of the documents that I was allowed to sign, I still had to get my parents to sign certain things because I wasn't 18 yet. Um, they had what's called the delayed enlistment program and then you could join Air Force after six months. So I was able to sign up for the Air Force in December and not actually have to start until the middle of June. And it worked great. Um, I'm driving home from the Air Force recruiting office and I literally i am driving and I, I started praying. I said, God, is this Okay. And the Lord was like, you're asking me this now. I don't think there's a whole lot we have to talk about, is there, Bob? You already signed the contract. You've already committed yourself. Oh, okay. So anyway, five days out of high school, I'm in basic training. And for those five weeks, six weeks following basic following high school, my life was completely turned around. And... For those of you who have never gone through boot camp or basic training, let me explain to you it is not a fun process. <laughs> but it is indefinite it is definitely and indeed a process. Because you see, when you walk in the door as a new recruit to the military, Army, Air Force, Navy, or Marines, you're all standing there wearing your uni- your, your uniform that you came in, which is your jeans or your shorts, or your dress pants and your shirt and you've got all the different styles, hair and some of you may have facial hair and you've got your suitcases and you're just standing there and they say, get in line, form up! And you're like, oh, blah. and so they get you to stand in line and literally in the military, in the Air Force, in basic training, when you see those flights of young individuals who've just gotten off the bus and they're still wearing their civilian clothes, they are referred to as rainbows because it's all the colors of the rainbow in that one formation. But then, after their first day, they will have been taken to the barber who will shave everything off. There's, a, there's an old story about one guy, he said, he was in the barber's chair at boot camp and the barber said, you want to keep your sideburns? He said, yeah, and the barber put him in an envelope for him. But the reality is is that they shave you completely. The women get to keep their hair, but they have to wear it in a certain style. But the men, it's bald. You're you're gone and facial hair is gone. And then they take you to another place and they make you strip out of everything. My mom just bought me brand new underwear for this. Too bad. You have to take everything off and they give you underwear. They give you t-shirts. They give you your shirt, your pants, your socks, your boots, everything. You're only allowed to wear what they give you. Now, we're no longer rainbows. Back then, it was all solid green. We were now known as pickles. (laughs) Now, when they changed from solid green to the camouflage, the BDUs, it went from being pickles to being relish. But you still weren't an airman yet. So we could now, as we progress through our six weeks of of basic training, we could look around and see all those rainbows and know that we're better than them because we at least got our uniform. And some of us, we're not pickles anymore because we got our name tapes and our stripes, so we're actually airmen. And then our MTI, that's the military training instructor. For Marines, it's a DI, a drill instructor, but all basically the same. People who hate you and want to yell at you and make your life miserable. And the, not really, but that's what it feels like. These people would make you constantly remind you how you are not yet an airman. You might think you're an airman, and we might call you airman, but you ain't an airman yet, boy. Okay. Because see, this six-week process in basic training for the for the Air Force, they're taking you from being an independent-thinking civilian to being blue. In in our, in that vernacular, Air Force Blue means you are now an Air Force person. You think, you eat, you sleep, Air Force, everything is Air Force, and you become blue. And the term is literally called blueing. They are causing you to become blue. I don't know what the Marines do that or not. They probably think that's childish and just shoot everybody that wants to talk like that. I don't know. But even after you're out of basic training and you're a fully fledged airman and you're out in your career, there are sometimes, like I, I remember distinctly at a base that I was at, we had a an actual unit that this was made up of people who had been struggling to Adapt to the Air Force lifestyle and they were still struggling so they had to go in for re And they were two to three weeks of more intensive get your head together. Now you can call it brainwashing if you want, but it's not. It's literally just helping them to become part of an organization helping them understand the rules of the organization. How do we work? How do we operate? What are the, how does this work for us? And so there's this idea, in the Air Force at least, that you become you start out as a rainbow, you become a pickle, and then you become a blued airman. And if you struggle in your blueness, they can reinforce that later on by doing some re-bluing. Now, what does Air Force blue have to do with church this morning? I'm glad you asked. Open up your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. You will be, you will recognize this part that we're about to look at because we read it just a couple of weeks ago. The first, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. We will be reading all 21 verses of chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, for there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. When the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you, lie down again. So Samuel went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel... And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But but Eli said, I did not call you, my son. Now lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So, as we look at the story, keep the Bibles open so that you can refer back back to these verses. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says... In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. So that being the case, we can pretty much understand that when Samuel was a little boy living in the, cha- in the tabernacle, working among the priests, it was not normal for God to reveal God's self in a way that was relatable and understandable. So for Samuel, when he was a little boy, knowing God was not the norm. Hearing God's voice was not the norm. As apparently, from what we hear, um, very few people ever heard from God directly, and because of the rarity of it, it is perfectly normal when we read that Samuel ran thinking it was Eli Cockington. because what else was he supposed to think? Now, Samuel, in relating this to my Air Force thing, Samuel is a rainbow at this point. He is uninitiated to the group known as the faithful of the Lord, or the children of God, however you want to term it. So Samuel is a rainbow. But then in verse 7, and this is how we know it, verse 7 says, Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord, the word of the Lord hadn't been revealed to them. At this point in his life, Samuel didn't have relationship with God and I wanna, I wanna, I thought about this for just a second, it's kind of an aside for me, but I was thinking it's really interesting that this little kid from the earliest days, I mean if you remember the story, Samuel's mother weaned him and God brought him to Eli and said, here's my son, the one I prayed for so many years ago, and I'm giving him to God. So he can live with you and work with you in the church. And literally she left him there. So from the time he was like three years old, Eli Samuel, has lived among the priests. But even though he lived among the priests and saw the daily worship and was living right there in the tabernacle of God, he didn't know God. He lived a religious life, but he didn't know God. And so enter Eli. Now, remember I told you when I was in basic training, there were people who were already blue, who wanted to yell at me and make my life miserable and make me blue? Those were the TIs, the military training instructors. Well, in our story here, Eli is the MTI. Eli is the religious educator. It's Eli's responsibility to blue Samuel. And if you look at verses 8 through 10 of this chapter, it says, the third time God called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And then see what it says here. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for the servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel, and then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. You see, Eli had the responsibility. He was the T.I. He already was blue, and he had the responsibility for Samuel's religious education, for blueing Samuel. So Eli already knew how to hear and recognize God's voice and how to relate to God. And he had the responsibility to instruct the next generation in how to do that. Now, we know from reading the story and especially what God pronounced over Eli in his house was that Eli had failed in passing this on to the next generation because his sons blasphemed God, we were told. But it says that he intentionally tried to... Give, I mean, he intentionally gave uh, Samuel very specific instructions. Why was he so specific? How important are detailed instructions when you're discipling another Christian in the workings of the faith? If they don't know what they're doing, if they have no clue how to pray, how to read the word, how to hear God's voice, how do they learn? Unless someone who already knows, someone who's already blue, teaches them how. So Eli has this responsibility to teach Samuel how to do it. And remember I said that there's sometimes a need for re There's sometimes a need for, for making sure that the blue stuck. Well, in this particular story, we see that. If you look at verse 17, Eli said, What was it that he said to you? Samuel, don't hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely. If you hide it from from me, anything he told you. What was Samuel doing there? The next morning, not with Samuel, what was Eli doing? The next morning, Eli was intentional in conducting follow-up with Samuel about the goings-on of the night before. Because see, Eli wasn't in the same room with Samuel. Samuel. Eli was sleeping in his own space and remember every time that God called Samuel, Samuel jumped up and ran to where Eli was and said, you called me. He said, I didn't call you. Go to bed. Get back in your room. Okay. So Eli wasn't in the room when God was talking to Samuel. So he said to him, tell me about what happened. And he literally gets Samuel to recite what's called a verbatim. Have you ever heard of the term verbatim? Verbatim literally means "tell me exactly word for word what happened," and so Samuel relates to uh, Eli what happened, and what Sam, what Eli is doing in this. He, I don't even know that he realized what he was doing, but he was reinforcing in Samuel's heart and mind that this was a genuine encounter with the living God. This wasn't a dream. It wasn't something that he imagined. It was very, very real. And it can be that, and it can be the way that God will relate to Samuel for the remainder of his life. So it is very important that Eli did this. Because as we see, In verses 19 and 21, it says the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So God very specifically revealed himself to Samuel in a very specific way and Eli had the responsibility of teaching Samuel how to discern that. So the bluing of Samuel is taking place here. And as I said, in the same way, that the MTIs, the military training instructors, blew the airmen under their charge, Eli took it as his responsibility and indeed did the bluing of Samuel. Now, this bluing, I would submit to you is a process. And that you can call it bluing, you can call it discipling, you can call it spiritual formation, whatever term you want to call it, but you need to understand it's a process. It's intentional. It's thought out. It's planned. There's a... Uh, when I was going through my, my, my master's training, there was a book I had to read called Invitation to a Journey by a guy named M. Robert Mulholland Jr. Robert Mulholland. And he defined spiritual formation as the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Let me restate that. Spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. It, it, it can be broken into three distinct parts. The process of being formed. Being formed in the image of Christ. Being formed for the sake of others. And what I want to do for the remainder of our time together, just a few minutes this morning, is I want to look at these three components. Process of being formed, being formed in the image of Christ, and being formed for the sake of others. But I want to turn it around. Okay, so we're going to first look at being formed for the sake of others. From the time I heard that definition, it always intrigued me. I had never been taught that my Christianity was for anybody else. I had been taught that my Christianity was so that I wouldn't go to hell. I had been taught that my Christianity was so that I could get baptized in the Holy Spirit and have the gifts of the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. My whole training as a Christian was to learn how to live the way God wanted me to live so that I could live a good life before God and have His pleasure, pleasure, and have His gifts and have His blessings. And it was all me-centric. That was my spiritual training. When I heard this, the process of being formed for the sake of others, my Christianity is not so I can get good stuff. My Christianity is so other people can be blessed. My Christianity is for their well-being. Why? Think about it. Why should my Christ-likeness make a difference to anybody else in the world? Well, what does it mean to be Christ-like? To my way of thinking, and when people ask me that, me being Christ-like is, I, they should see Jesus when they see me. I don't mean physically. Physically. But they should see Jesus, the way Jesus lived. How did Jesus live? Well, very clearly we're told in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that when the Holy Spirit of God comes, we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, there are nine of them. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says in Galatians, against these things there's no law. So there's no law that says you can't be loving, kind, gentle, faithful, long, long-suffering, blah, 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 blah. What would the world be like, think about this, what would the world be like if every human being exhibited these nine fruit on a daily basis? How would our culture be different from the way it is today? If every single human being Exhibited on a daily basis the nine fruit of the spirit. It would be a whole different experience driving down Chena Hot Springs Road. It would be a whole different experience staying in line with Fred Myers. It would be a whole different experience if you tripped and fell. That's why being formed in the image of Christ is... For the sake of others. But I had never been taught that as a young Christian. It was all about me avoiding hell. All about me and the blessings. All about me and the power. All about me and God. Never about others benefiting as a result of my faith and my Christianity. So, that's the first part of it, being formed for the sake of others. But it also is being formed for the, into the image of Christ. So this process of being formed in the image of Christ, this being Christ-like, this bluing, is the goal, if you will, for each one of us. The Church of the Nazarene put it in our mission, that we are our goal is, our, our mission is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. So the mission of the Church of the Nazarene is to blue people throughout the world. Now, earlier I said that Eli was responsible for the bluing of Samuel in exactly the same way that it was the MTI's responsibility to blue the airmen that were under their charge. What you didn't hear, but it was implied. And what I want to focus on now is this process of being blued or this process of being formed into the image of Christ was not Samuel's responsibility. Just as it wasn't the airman's responsibility to get blued. It was the responsibility of someone who was already blued to blue someone else. Think about that. Until the person recognized... That there was value in being blue. There was no desire to seek it. But if the person who was already blue was able to show what was valuable about being blue and to live it before the person who was a rainbow. And then as opportunity came, began intentionally to form blue into the life of the person under whose charge, or over whose they were in charge that person who was a rainbow and being shown what blueness was can then begin to own blueness for themselves and ultimately become blue. Is this making sense? But it's a process. So, it's a process of being formed. I mean, formed for the sake of others, formed into the image of Christ, but it's a process of being formed. What does that look like? How does that work? So, this idea of being blued, formed into the image of Christ, it is so, I mean, is it, if this process is so good for both the individual and for others, the question is, why is it done so haphazardly in today's church? I already shared with you mine. My experience was very, very haphazard. There was no intentionality on anybody's part to make sure that I was formed properly as a Christian or knew why I was being formed or what the goal ultimately was. It took me close to 35, 40 years before I actually learned any of this. And in high churches... Like the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, the Catholic Church, and even in like the Presbyterian Church, there's an intentional process that is used, and I want to share it with you. You can find it online. Ah, I went to the wrong place. Sorry. There it is. There is a um, centuries-old, centuries-old process called a catechism. Some of you may have heard that term before. It is basically a training process. In some cases, depending on which faith tradition you're part of, you're not able to be baptized into the faith and declared blue, a Christian, fully formed, until you pass the catechism. And the catechism is literally memorization, rote, memorized, rote. I mean, and this, let me, let me read to you some of the questions. This is the very first question of the catech, what's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is 107 questions long. What is the chief end of man? The answer that the student would say is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. The second question, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Third question, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach that what, I mean, teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. What is God? What is God? Answer, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Now, if you were brought to a Bible study for the very first time and you found something enticing about being part of this group known as the blue people, and they said, you want to join us? Yeah. Yeah, this would be great. All right, memorize this. What? Well, memorize it. Once you get it memorized, and you can say it correctly without mistake, all 107 questions, will let you be part of our club, because you'll be blue. I don't think I want to do that. Never mind. I'm just going to stay a rainbow. But that's the process that many, 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 many thousands, millions of Christians throughout time have gone through to become blue Christians it's foreign to us because we weren't taught that way. We weren't trained to be formed that way. But the reality is, it works. It works. And if you ain't got something better, at least do something that works. So my question is for you guys. Just, you don't have to answer this question, but how were you blued? I mean, was it done intentionally? Methodically? With a goal in mind? Or was it done haphazardly? Or was it even done at all? If you could be re-blued, in other words, the blue didn't quite stick, and you're not all blue that you should be, and you're not as all as you should be, what, if you had the power, what would you say you wanted included in your re-bluing process? What holes are there that need to be filled so that you can be a better blue? And finally, as one who is already blue, what intentional, purposeful process are you implementing to blue those who God has placed in your care? Do you feel adequate to that task? If you don't feel adequate to be in charge of somebody and to ensure that they turn blue, what intentional, purposeful steps are you taking to re-blue yourself so that you can feel adequate? Because remember, in Samuel's case, Eli eventually died. And Samuel lived a very long time. And he had to have true blue, if you will without Eli you cannot have blueness because someone else is blue you have to be blue yourself and if your blueness is not sufficient or not thorough or not deep enough or rich enough it's on you to make sure that you get re-blued and how are you going to do it and who's going to be responsible for making it happen And what tools and resources do you have available to you? See, there's an intentionality about this process of blueness. And we in the Western church haven't a clue about that intentionality of process. We just say, we want everyone to know the Lord. But what does that mean? And how is it lived? And how can you make it happen? Because indeed, there are processes out there that make it happen. And if yours isn't working, then change it. So, let me tie this all up, okay? First of all, in this particular story in Samuel, there are only two people, Eli and Samuel. One of them was a rainbow. He needed to turn blue. The other one, at the start of this story, was already blue. The blue one had all the responsibility on their shoulders for the blueing of the other. It was not the responsibility of the rainbow to make himself blue. So the question for us to ponder as you walk out of here today and think about this is, number one, am I blue? Number two, if I say I'm blue, has God charged me with the responsibility to help someone else be formed into blueness? And if that is indeed the case, Have I thought out a process by which I can help form this person under my care to become blue? And if I haven't, why haven't I? Because if I truly think being blue is the best thing in the world and the ultimate goal for all Christians, then shouldn't I be intentional in the way that I help other people to become blue? And shouldn't I be purposeful? And looking for opportunities to better myself as a blue person so that I can make sure that others who come in contact with my life will be drawn to my blueness so that they can learn what it means to be blue themselves and not be a rainbow that's running around with no foundation and no hope. It's a powerful, powerful message that we see here in 1 Samuel. The passing on of the faith the forming into Christ-likeness. And it is something that every single one of us has experienced, whether it was done well or not. And it is something that every single one of us who know Christ have a responsibility to do with the next generation. How intentional and purposeful are you in making sure that you rub some blue off onto the next generation? Let's pray.